The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties. Location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Founded by Women in Athens, Ohio, the organization Women for Recovery was born. It became a nonprofit in March 2017, with the main goal being to offer residential living in a safe and sober environment. Day by day, the organization is helping women dedicated to recovery create a community for healing. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Kate Matisi, an addictions and mental health psychiatrist, and board member Betsy Anderson, the interim executive director, and Lee Ann Brooks, the Serenity Grove House night manager. So I'm wondering what the state of our region is like when it comes to addiction and recovery and and why women for recovery would be a necessary group in this area. I'd like to give some history. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been a member of the recovery community in Athens for a number of years. Um, A few years ago, there was a a woman who reentered our community from prison. She'd been in prison, in the women's prison, for 10 years and had all these dreams, had a number of certifications, was a trained service dog uh, trainer, um, was a trained Zumba instructor, and she had all this, you know, just uh, impetus to do good. And um, because there were so many doors that were closed because of her history, um, her criminal history, uh, had no vehicle, had no driver's license, couldn't find a, a job that was, you know, helped her advance, did fast food, uh, had, a, you know, a single room apartment, um, and, you know, gradually got uh, more and more and more disillusioned and more depressed and uh, fell into bad habits and is back in prison. And uh, a number of us realized that, you know, there is no women recovery house in Athens. There's a, a, a men's house that's been in existence for 13 years, but there's, there's been nothing for women. Um, so we uh, contacted the 317 board, which is the state agency responsible for chemical dependency and mental health treatment in, in our area. And they called the big meeting with uh, a number of agency involved, uh, state agencies, uh, county agencies, um, uh, the the treatment facilities and everybody agreed. Yeah, we need this, and uh, nobody was willing to step up. And so, <laughs> uh-huh. the women in in the recovery community decided we need to do this. And uh, I mean, <laughs> we had no experience doing this, you know. But we very talented group of women, and so that meeting happened in May of 2016. And we opened our house finally in April of 2018. You say finally, but to me that seems like record-breaking speed to get through the funding, the fundraising, the government, you yeah. know, the red 501-3C. tape. 501 3C. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I said we're a talented group of, of women and very hands-on. Wow. Yeah. It's that, been uh, extremely rewarding, I think, not just for uh, the, the women that we're serving, but also for the people on the board, because I, I, I mentioned we're very hands-on. Mm-hmm. You know, we do, we do transportation, we do, you know, phone calls, we do, yeah. It's, so what, what does a day in um, the life of being at Serenity Grove look like for, for people to be hands-on? What kind of support system is there for, for these women? So 
We start the day with a morning meeting. Um, the morning meeting is focused on recovery, but it's also uh, goal-oriented. Maybe what what is on one of our – each resident could go around the room. What's on your plate today? What are you looking forward to? What are you not looking forward to? How can we help? So we're a level two transitional house, which means we do provide staff, but because we're a nonprofit, we ourselves are not a service agency in the sense that we're not providing medical care, we're not providing counseling. We can facilitate what each resident needs. And obviously, each person who comes to us has a different slate of needs. Mm -hmm. So on any given day, following the morning meeting, there's the morning shuffle of getting people where they need to go. We currently have one resident who has her own vehicle, but we've uh, we weren't surprised to know that the biggest one of the biggest obstacles to to rebuilding one's life is not having transportation. So we do have a grant funded house vehicle. We have to kind of prioritize uh, how to coordinate with five women in the house. Mm-hmm. How do we coordinate? getting each person where they need to go. So the women themselves have to rely on available transportation, which using their medical cards, they generally can get to medical appointments with transportation that's provided through other sources. Uh, we try to prioritize other other needs that can't in any other way be met. So we'll try to like today, I have, have I am taking somebody over to HRS uh, later this morning because that's an, an intake for a new resident and and a scheduled appointment that has to be kept. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of other, our other women are at work and they have found ways to make that happen. But we we serve as a facilitator, I think, um, to help help pull in every available option so that we can get everybody what they need and where they need um, as much as we're able. But each of the women has to be responsible, obviously, for her own her own path um, back into life, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that that's, can be so tricky. And, and obviously you need somebody to help facilitate, but just to keep you accountable, I would think, for for not using, not, not mm-hmm. having a bad day and going back into some of those habits. Do you find that, Leanne, that these women rely on each other? Yes, they do. Um, You're the night manager. Yeah. Okay. Um, like Betsy was saying, you know, we have a morning meeting and, you know, there's numerous things we discuss before we start into actually, you know, what's your day going to be like. And then, um, you know, I'm there for the morning meeting as well. And then I go about my day. And then when I come home in the evenings, you know, I get to talk to each, you know, each one of them, either in a group or one-on-one. And, you know, I get to address how, how did your day go? You know, what did you accomplish today? And, you know, I get to see some of the setbacks that they still are finding to be very big obstacles. And then, you know, try to guide them through that it's not that disappointing. You know, these things take time. And that's really rewarding, you know. I really like doing that. <laughs> what are some of the obstacles that are facing these women? Um, housing. Um, so while they're in Serenity Grove, they're looking for long-term housing. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. We're you know we're just a, a, we're temporary to help them get back on the right track. How temporary? How long do most women stay? We ask for a ninety-day commitment. Okay. Um, some women stay longer, um, which is fine. You know, um, but. While they're there, they're learning to live their life over again. And, you know, we try to help them find, you know, we set them up with other resources in the community um, to be able to help them, you know, find their own path. Mm -hmm. So one of the obstacles, though, is is their own long-term housing. What else do these women face? I think that when they come to us, and, and we've had women come 
voluntarily uh, from a situation maybe where they already are they are living somewhere but they don't feel that it's safe enough or stable enough we've had women come from incarceration we've had women come from treatment centers um, the big obstacles that I've seen immediately are and this is something I've observed about living in Athens most of my life I came to Athens went to first grade here and um, largely have lived my life here I taught in the Athens City school system for a number of years and I would I would interject that addiction can occur across every possible line. But when addiction occurs along with poverty or economic insecurity, it becomes very difficult to overcome. Mm -hmm. So when the women come to us and, and they have any number of financial and legal issues hanging over them, even opening a bank account can actually be next to impossible. So so a quick example, just the other day I had a young woman um, who – currently has an expired driver's license because of different circumstances leading up to her getting to us. So in order to try to open a bank account, you have to have a current license. But to get a current license, you have to have some money to purchase an ID. Mm -hmm. And you have to have transportation to get from the bank, which I had taken her to the bank. But then we needed to go to the BMV and get the appropriate and pay for that and then go back to the bank. And she and I had a conversation. And that's a a, a small example, but had she not had, not me, it's not me, but had she not had somebody with her who was willing to help facilitate this, she said, I would have given up once the bank told me that I couldn't, that I couldn't do it with my expired license. And she said, then how would I have gotten to the BMV and how would I have gotten back and how would I have come back to my home, you know? Serenity Grove. So it sounds that none of those, to many of us, I don't think those things sound like a big deal. But what I realize is the more I'm working with these women, they're huge and they the, they feel defeated trying to do something that many of us take for granted. And when they feel defeated because they're coming from the addiction back story, without the right support, it's easy to slide back into that. It, it's like the default. Of course, they slide back. So so I think what Serenity Grove offers, because we generated out of a group of women who ourselves are committed to the recovery community, we have personal connections, whether whether ourselves or loved ones, um, and, and maybe a determination to walk with these women mm -hmm. is how I would characterize it. We can't do it for them, but we can walk with them. Mm -hmm. And and uh, it's been profoundly meaningful, at least to me. We'll get back to our conversation with Women for Recovery in just a moment. But first, our kindness call, sponsored by Cornwell Properties, where location matters. Hi, my name is Angie Wiemeler, and my kindness story um, happened this last October. Uh, we had high winds and had a huge tree, like a 50-foot tree, fall down, and it was very wide. And so it took days of multiple people coming over to try to chop this tree apart and get it down and, or you know, get it cut up and everything. And at the same time, my aunt, who was someone very close to me, had just passed. My husband is a teacher, and we own a landscaping company. So it was like the busiest time of year. It was the worst time for this to happen. Um and so while we were gone at my aunt's funeral, actually, my neighbor, who they are just wonderful people, and he had taken it upon himself to spend the entire day um, cutting down or, like, cutting up the tree. Um, it probably saved us, like, three days of work because, you know, we just didn't have the time to do that with everything that had happened. So we just came home and saw that the tree had been 
pretty much taken care of. And not only that, because it was the time of year it was, the city no longer picks up brush. So we were trying to figure out how we're going to haul all this stuff and what we're going to do with this huge tree. He had called friends that he has at the city and actually arranged them to pick everything up. So it was just, it was kind. It was generous. And and we just appreciated that so much because he didn't have to do any of that. Um, We certainly never expected it, but it, it made such a difference in in our schedules and our time and just it made a hard time a lot easier so it was just a wonderful thing and those type of things help you restore your faith in humanity a little bit and appreciate your fellow neighbor so that's it thanks did you know you can be on the kindness podcast call the kindness hotline with your story you can leave us a voicemail at the number in the description of this podcast now back to the show I imagine there are so many women who get stuck in that spot of, you know, I I have a friend who is in prison right now, and she had gotten out of prison about, I don't know, two years ago, and she came out and she was so excited to be a mom to her son. She was so ready to do the right thing, so ready to get a job, and she's a hard, hard worker. And it was probably six or nine months, and she had been told no so many times that she ended up using again. She's back in prison. So now I still communicate with her and visit her, and she is adamant that when she gets out this time, this is the time that 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 addiction will not define her and that this is the time that she's going to be able to do it. But as a friend, I worry because how how do you not go back in with your old friends? How do you not you – know, how do you convince somebody they should hire you? What – you know, so so, who gets to come to Serenity Grove? There's got to be a long list of people like my friend who say, well, boy, this would be helpful for me. Um, <clears throat> we do give preference to, to, to women coming out of uh, lockup, coming out of prison, coming out of um, jail, the Southeast Ohio Regional Jail, uh, or coming out of treatment. Um, and we've been fortunate that, you know, when we really did have a serious, serious applicant that, you know, we did have a bed available. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. a, a stumbling block is that we have room for eight women, but because of fire coding and sprinkler system mandates, we're only allowed to have five at this point. Oh. So, and it's a, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to get a sprinkler system. Right. Okay. So whoever's so. listening has tens of thousands of dollars. Can you do that? Because they need all of those beds, right? Yes. All of them. Yes. Yes. Mm. yes. Have you had any women, I know it's a new program, have you had any women graduate successfully from this program? We have. Yes, yes. we have. We yes, have we had have. one woman actually. Um, they're trying to figure out who wants to talk about this this woman, and that's okay. Both of our okay. first two are successfully. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, so the fir- the both of the first two arrived on the same day, and one is back in school at Hawking College to be an addictions counselor. Oh. She's currently employed. She recently married the father of her child, and they are so they're reunited and living as a family. The other has started her own business. Um, she has a cleaning business, and I, I believe. She, I probably shouldn't say the name. Okay. I don't say the name. It's okay. <laughs> but she has a cleaning business. She started her own cleaning business um, and, and is, is equally in a relationship that seems solid and supportive. And, and so on, in both cases, we feel very pleased with, with the, the hand uh, 
I'm not saying that right, not hand out, but the um, the outcome from the outcome from from getting some support to get back on their feet and mm-hmm. get back into the community. Oh, go on. Um, you know, and that's one thing about this community in general. At the Athens community has just been tremendously supportive, and we've bought, we have partnerships with a number of you know different agencies and AceNet, which is uh, you know the entrepreneurial business, they were instrumental in helping this one lady get her own business, you know, helping her set up, organize, budget. Yeah, I'm sure because you can define your skill set. You can say, hey, I might be good at this. I might enjoy this. But then when you, again, like if you can't even get a bank account, how do you set up a business license and do all of that? Mm -hmm. It just seems overwhelming. And what was also great about these two women um, is that they continue to give back to us and help the women that we have there now. Um, yeah, one of them pitched in and, and transported one of the women yeah. today. I was wondering because so you go from what is a safe, secure nest, and then like the baby bird, you're launched out into your own. But um, I was wondering if they still relied on the board, those people, those friends that they made while living at the house. I think so. I think that one of the other successes we've had, and again, we're relatively new, but is is reaching out to the community both both the recovery community in the Athens area, but the community as a whole. Uh, So we have a weekly Tuesday evening dinner um, that was grant-funded with the idea of of having the women sit down together and and interact with others that has expanded into we are able to – we can't invite everyone, but we are able to invite people who have supported us um, or other women in the recovery community and – there's an element of not just sitting down together and having conversation, but uh, preparing the meal together. We often play games after, and so there's laughter, but there's interaction with others in a way that I feel that some women, maybe in their growing up systems, haven't experienced that that bonding and that trust and that community belonging. Right, um, And then that helps us build relationships with others who can provide transportation for us or connect us with someone who knows how to budget. Uh, Again, something else the women seem to generally need help with is menu planning, making healthy choices, comparison shopping, looking at the unit label and and letting the money that they might have access to go as far as it can. And so, again, that's where we've generated some good support from different people who find a niche and are able to step in and help us. I think of my friend. She was 13 when she quit school and because she was an addict and 13 like you didn't have a chance at life when you were 13 you didn't you didn't get to learn how to go grocery shopping you didn't get to learn how to make a budget you don't get to learn how to make good solid friendships when when drugs take you away at age 13 you know so i can see how it's a real uh, learning how to do life Right. And if they come from a family where maybe every intention was good and loving, but if the parents themselves perhaps were caught in this cycle with addiction, then there weren't those skills, mm-hmm. um, those growing up skills that, again, we some of us may take for granted, but we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for walking alongside a loved one with addiction? I know, Kate, you work with young addicts as well as the women at Serenity Grove. And I just know that sometimes sometimes parents are in, in the addiction circle as well, but sometimes they're not. And this catches them off guard and they don't even know how to love and support this person. Am I supposed to do tough love today or am I supposed to really, you know, hold them today? Yeah. Um, 
don't be hostage to the addiction. You know, be supportive, be loving, be caring, but don't feed the addiction. How? Yeah. What's a, what would be a practical step or a practical example of that? You know, don't make idle threats. You know, you use, we're kicking you out. <laughs> you know, um, So follow through then, on that. Follow through on that. Um, you know, don't pay bills that have, been, that have accrued um, through the addiction cycle. Mm-hmm. What else? Yeah, just be loving and supportive, and, and you need help, and I can't do it for you. You have to do it yourself, you know, and that's the, you know, that's the conundrum of every, every disease, every addiction, you know. It's like I have to decide that it's a problem in my life and mm-hmm. that I have to do something about it. I can't make you decide that. Mm-hmm. You have to decide that yourself. You and know, then once they've decided, is it okay to step back in and say, okay, now I'll help you figure out how to pay those bills or not? Um, it, there has to be a period of time where you see somebody really trying. Okay. You know, it can't be just like yesterday I promised and I'm, I'm okay today. So how about <laughs> how about you give me that money? money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I would make an observation to to the loved ones who are trying to support someone in addiction that the addicted individual is is in a disease and in a place that a lot of the way that plays out looks like the addicted person doesn't care, that they're hateful, they're spiteful, they're deceptive, they're, you know, not trustworthy. And and that's all true. But that the core person that, you know, that, that you that you love is still there. If the addiction can be addressed and dealt with, that real person that you that the parent knew or the you know the spouse knew that my wife didn't used to be this way, um, and that that would I would echo Kate with the conundrum is how do you love someone and I would say you continue to love them but you can't allow yourself to be so mired in the addiction that you yourself are, are trapped in all of those consequences mm-hmm. too. I, um, it's it's kind of learning to love someone but let let those consequences occur because sometimes the consequences have to occur for that individual to recognize uh, what is happening. But in the grips of addiction, I believe the addicted person often is making decisions that no one else can understand, which is why in a recovery community, the support that's offered is so critical because other people who have walked in the addiction they do understand. Um, I think people outside the recovery, people who are not themselves addicted, it's probably impossible mm-hmm. to really understand what that's like. You can try to be loving and supportive, but uh, it's it, it's it's just very difficult to understand. Um, it's not appreciating that you know addiction is a brain disease. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just like a psychiatric illness. You know, it's not I'm choosing to be this way. This happened to me. Right. So, I have had to say to a friend, I, I will love you unconditionally, but I can't help you unconditionally. And it is hard words to say to somebody that, that you need to know that what I'm saying is true. I love you unconditionally. But the helping has, has limits. That's very well said. Because mm-hmm. this, the hard part is the stigma that goes with addiction as if, as if the addicted person is a bad person. Mm. And I would say that it, the addicted person is a sick person who's trying to get well, not a bad person who's just being bad. Mm-hmm. It's a, it, it is an illness. And it, and and again, in the grips of it, it to the addicted person, getting that next drug or fix or drink is the only thing that they can 
focus on. That's what their brain is telling them mm-hmm. in the grips of it. Yeah. Wow, Kate. Betsy, Leanne, thank you so much for coming and sharing about what's happening in the Athens, Ohio community with Women for Recovery and Serenity Grove. I sure appreciate uh, hearing from you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Nicole. That was a conversation with Dr. Kate Matisse, Betsy Anderson, and Leanne Brooks. You can learn more about Women for Recovery at www.facebook.com slash womenforrecovery.com. Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich and intern Chloe Meston. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section. Kindness.